Multiple births should not be confused with entertainment, nor should they be an opportunity to sell products. Annette, Cecile, and Yvonne Dion. This was the Dion quintuplets, and this is the good, the bad, and the pure evil. It all began with Olivier and Elzerie Dion when they met and married September 1925. They lived just outside Corbeil, Canada, in a farmhouse. At the age of 24, Elzerie gave birth to quintuplets. She had a feeling of twins, but quintuplets no one knew could be possible. On May 28, 1934, the girls were born premature. Elziri said she had severe cramps in her third month and passed an unusual object many believed was a sixth child. She carried the other five until one night Olivier called midwife's Aunt Donalda and Madame Benot Labelle to the home. They came with Dr. Alan Roy Defoe, who had originally diagnosed Elziri with fetal uh, abnormality. The quintuplets weighed a total of 13 pounds 6 ounces, with the heaviest of the five at 3 pounds 4 ounces and the lightest at 2 pounds 4 ounces. The babies were wrapped in cotton sheets and laid in the bed. Elzeri went into shock after the births, but recovered within a few hours. The babies were moved to wicker baskets like Moses baskets, given by neighbours. They were covered with heated blankets and taken to the kitchen to sit beside the stove to be kept warm. One by one, they would be taken from the baskets and massaged with olive oil. Every two hours for the first 24, the babies were fed water sweetened with corn syrup. On day two, they were moved to a larger basket and kept warm with hot water bottles. After a while, seven to 20 bottles fed them with cow milk, boiled water, two spoons of corn syrup and a drop or two of rum for stimulant. News of the miracle blew up from Olivia's brother inquiring to a newspaper as to how much for the announcement. Before long, people came from all over North America. They were offering help, sending supplies, advice, and a hospital even sent two incubators. Women donated their breast milk, receiving 10 cents per ounce. Once the milk came, it was preserved and sent by train to the babies. At the Toronto Hospital for Sick Children, Dr. Alan Brown made sure the train had 28 ounces of breast milk delivered each and every morning to the quintuplets. So Olivier was approached within days of the birth by Chicago's Century of Progress, or Chicago's World Fair, to exhibit the girls to the world. Now at the time, showing incubator babies as exhibition was common. The parents spoke to Dr. Defoe and the family priest, Father Reutier, about the offer and both men told the parents to go for it. So they did. But days after agreeing, Olivier took back the contract, saying his wife didn't sign it, so it wasn't valid. The tour the tour borough didn't agree. July 27, 1934, the first guardianship bill was signed. This time, Olivia and Elzeri signed the quintuplets over to the Red Cross, 
for a set period of two years. During this time, the Red Cross would cover all medical expenses. Expenses like nurses, supplies, and enough breast milk to feed the five. February 1935, the Dion family went to Chicago as the parents of the world-famous babies, making stage appearances. During the trip, Mitchell Hepburn, an Ontario Premier, pushed his agenda to extend guardianship. Mitchell came up with a spiel to the parents that the babies needed protection from exploitation. March 1935, Mitchell pushed through the Dion Quintuplets Act, and this had the five girls officially wards of the Crown and had guardianship extended until they turned 18. Olivia was given a seat on the board of guardians for the girls, but he rarely went to meetings. The board was made up of four men, the girl's dad, Olivia, Dr. Defoe, a man named Joseph Vallon, who seems to have been a judge, and the Minister of Welfare, David Crowell. So Olivia didn't go to the meetings because he felt the three always voted against him. The three men met once a month and had full control of business involving the girls. They also were involved in caring for the five, managing their money and getting contracts for appearances in films and commercials. The quote-unquote legal reason to have their five removed from their nice safe family was for their survival, safety and protection from promoters. But really they were in the hands of the biggest promoters. The government knew how unique these girls were, how huge interest they would get, and so built a tourist industry around the quintuplets. Across the road where the Fives family home was, the Defoe Hospital and Nursery was built for the girls and their caregivers. September 21st, 1934, the girls were moved from a far their farmhouse to this nursery where they lived until they were nine. The nursery had an outdoor play area that could be viewed by the public. It was encircled by a covered area allowing people to come and watch the girls behind a one-way screen. The one-way screen was to prevent noise and distraction to the girls. The facility was funded by the Red Cross and the girls were taken out two, sometimes three times a day into the playground to crowds. The nursery was nine rooms with staff living nearby. In the staff house, three nurses lived with three police guarding them. In the nursery with the quintuplets was a housekeeper and two maids. The buildings were surrounded by seven feet of barbed wire fences. The Dion quintuplets were constantly tested, studied and examined, and everything was recorded. At the nursery, life was somewhat structured. They didn't have to do chores and were privately tutored. Nurses were their caregivers and they had little outside exposure behind the walls. They did have some contact with their family from across the road. When their parents came, arguments would erupt with the nurses. Elzerie would question the nurses and disagree with the foods the girls were getting. The girls' day started with getting dressed in a big bathroom. 
they had orange juice and cod liver oil and then all their hairs were curled. They said morning prayers and a gong would sign for breakfast. They had 30 minutes to eat this and after which the table was cleared and playtime began in the sunroom for 30 minutes. At 9am inspections by Dr. Defoe were done. Activities changed each and every month. In the evening, they bathed before dinner and got into pyjamas. Dinner was served at 6pm sharp. After dinner, they went into the quiet room for evening prayers. The girls had colours and symbols marking their belongings. Annette had red and maple leaf symbol. Cecile was green and a turkey symbol. Emily was white and tulip. Marie blue with a teddy bear. And Yvonne was pink and a bluebird symbol. Before the birth, Dr. Defoe was a simple country doctor. After the birth, he became the girl's doctor as he structured the first hours of their care and health. In 1942, he retired, and up until then, he was known as the world's best doctor. He wrote a book and pamphlets and had a radio show with the intention to help mothers with childcare. Mothers all over listened to his radio show and found him helpful with advice on health of a child and their care. But Defoe, he took advantage of his newfound fame with the girls. He spent a lot of money and was removed as primary caretaker of the girls. Their removal involved Olivier taking legal action to get back custody of his girls. The public didn't know at the time, but Defoe profited over $180,000 in 1943 alone. So when visits started, the quintuplets were babies. Visitors could watch the five through a window in the hospital. But the quintuplets were becoming upset by the visits. They would become excited seeing the visitors and extremely upset when they left. The hospital told visitors to remain silent during the visits, but this didn't help. The babies were shown four times a day. Then the observatory opened on Canada Day 1936. Thousands came to see the girls. The visitors were to be quiet and not to speak to the girls, to move along and not hold up the line of visitors. If the weather was bad, the girls weren't shown. And the final rule was no taking of photographs. The girls were aware they were being watched. They could hear talking, screams and laughter. About 300 visited a day and almost 3 million visited from 1936 to 1943. Olivier had a souvenir shop near the nursery, and the area soon became known as Quintland. Souvenirs included photos of the five, spoons, cups, plates, chocolate bars, books and dolls. There were bins to the public with stones in them, claiming to be magical fertility stones. These bins were refilled every day. Women would ask to touch Olivia, believing he could increase their fertility. The quintuplets made $50 million from tourist revenue. They became Ontario's 
biggest tourist attraction, even surpassing the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. Hollywood stars visited them too, including Clark Gable, Betty Davis, Mae West and Amelia Earhart just before she disappeared. Visits in a room with the quintuplets were allowed. Five people at a time who had been sprayed with disinfectant before going in. The sisters and Dr. Defoe were in commercials for Quaker Oaks, Colgate, so, uh, soap, Canada starch, corn products, baby roots, condensed milk, chocolate bars and many other items. They also appeared in films, newsreels and documentaries. With each newspaper and reel, the girls' trust fund grew. By age two, they had $250,000 in their account. Their trust fund was secured by the Canadian government, but the girls weren't rich or lived comfortably. The government used the trust to pay for research, food, travel expenses, and even to filmmakers. When the girls released their book years later, detailing their memories, they said the government didn't care. They didn't consider the suffering their actions caused the girls. The girls, now women, called for $10 million from the government, but got no response. Bertrand, Cecile's son, was able to get news, uh, news to agencies to release documents of the five that were burned from 1934 to 1937. This release had the living tree offered $2,000 by Premier Mike Harris. The offer was seen as an insult. They wanted back what was stolen from their fun. They went to the media and then the girls turned down offers of two and three million dollars. Eventually they accepted four million dollars and a look into their trust. Harris would visit the tree to apologize on the behalf of the government. But before that, back in 1939, Defoe resigned as guardian and Olivia, the girl's father, gained support to have his family whole again. The Catholic Church and French-speaking communities in Quebec and Ontario pressured the government to give Olivia custody. Pressure stemmed from the fact that the Eons never agreed to the removal of the girls from their custody. 1942, the Dion's moved into the nursery with the quintuplets to wait for their new home to be built. A yellow brick 20-room mansion was built for the family out of the girls' trust fund. The home was decked out with telephones, hot water, electricity and was called the big house. The building today is a retirement home. The nursery was converted into a school home where the girls finished their secondary education with 10 Roman Catholic girls. The old Defoe Hospital would be a convent. The family now whole again, happiness should be in the air, but it wasn't. The five girls felt distant from their family. The girls spoke French while the family spoke English, so communication was hard. Their parents insisted they wanted the family to be one again, but the girls were always travelling to events. 
The sisters said the family often lectured them about the trouble they caused by existing. They also said their mother was physically abusive to them. Olivier was suspicious to outsiders. In 1995, the three remaining sisters accused their father of sexual abuse in their teens. In 1952, the girls turned 18 and left home with little contact with their parents. Three of the five went on to marry. Emilie became, uh, Emily became a nun, and Yvonne studied nursing, became a sculptured, and then a librarian. Emily died at 20 from a seizure. She had suffered from them while in the convent and was to be watched at all times. But the nun watching her left her asleep to go to mass. Emily had a seizure, rolled over onto her stomach and accidentally suffocated. In 1970, Marie hadn't been heard from in some days. Her sisters grew concerned and had a doctor check in on her. He found Marie dead in her bed. She died from a blood clot to her brain. Annette and Cecile divorced in 1950 and moved in with Yvonne. In 1997, the three wrote to the parents of the Macaulay Setuplets, warning them against publicity to their children. As of 2022, two sisters are alive, Annette and Cecile. Yvonne died in 2001. And that is the story of the Dion Quintuplets. Like and subscribe to my YouTube and podcast. And join me next time for the story of Belle Gunis, a Norwegian-American serial killer who was active in Illinois and Indiana from 1884 until 1908. It's believed she killed 14 people, but some think it's higher, up at 40. Gunnis is believed to have died in a fire in 1908, but rumour has it she faked her death, and her actual fate is unknown. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.